as we've just sung, uh, the Lord speaks in order that the church is grown, in order that the world does hear of his glory. And that's what we're seeing in the book of Acts. That, that's the purpose of God unfolding through the ministry of the apostles and the early church as it spreads from city to city and province to province and uh, as God's name, the name of Christ, is lifted high. Uh, we're going to be this uh, day in chapter 23. We're going to finish off chapter 23 of the book of Acts. Uh, the message this morning is entitled False Charges and True Authority. False Charges and true authority. You see, as the message about Christ, the gospel, the good news goes out into the world, the world kicks back and resists uh, that good news. It resists uh, the authority of God, uh, the true authority, and seeks to make its own way, seeks to make its own justification for the way it wants to go. That's why uh, life is full of challenges especially if you name the name of Christ as your Saviour and Lord. False charges and true authority. I wonder if you remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I suspect that most of the Older folks remember that expression. Uh, perhaps it, it brings back some funny memories or, or perhaps some difficult memories uh, from the playground. Uh, but I think possibly some of our younger folks may not have heard that expression uh, because it's not so popular these days. Well, in today's world, people are becoming increasingly incapable of allowing words to wash over them. Uh, many folks are becoming increasingly sensitive and, and vulnerable to whatever unsettles them or challenges their chosen lifestyles. People become triggered at the slightest criticism. And there's a growing tide of intolerance towards those who disagree with the many novel ways of defining and redefining human identity and relationships that we see continually in these days. Why has all of this happened? Well, it's quite simply because the foundation, the belief in the God of Scripture and the guiding principles of his truth, this foundation has been rejected. And so a tide of confusion has swept in, transforming the culture surrounding us into something alien to so many generations that has gone before. And so our culture today cannot stand to be challenged. Like the Jews in the text today couldn't stand to be challenged by the truth of the gospel that Paul preached. Friends, our culture cannot stand the challenge that the word of God brings. Inconvenient words are airbrushed out of existence and faithful Bible-believing Christians are labelled delusional oppressors 
or haters for standing up for God's moral truth. But ironically, according to the unbelieving naturalistic worldview that opposes us, this is actually fine because we're all just animals. We don't rebuke animals for being delusional. So why should we worry? Why should we worry when people call us deluded oppressors or worse? Bigots. We're all just animals anyway. If we're all just animals, why should we be concerned about what we believe? And if the Jews are right about their view of Jesus, why should they worry? He's dead and buried, right? Well, where's his body? We'll soon discover that truth and authority are vitally important. Not just in the text, not just to Paul the Apostle, or the early church, but to each and every one of us. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 23. I'm going to read from verse 23 to the end of the chapter. Then the Roman tribune called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. There, The, the next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when, the, when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under, under guard in Herod's palace. May God bless his word to us this day and grant us understanding. If you're taking notes this morning, there are three points, three A's. Firstly, action. Secondly, accusations. And thirdly, arrival. Action, 
accusations and arrival. Let's consider first the tribune's action. Well, the tribune, this man who we were introduced uh, a few weeks ago, he makes the most thorough preparations, if you notice, for Paul to be guarded effectively. He wants to leave absolutely no possibility for Paul to be harmed by those plotting his death. If you remember, uh, there were 40 plotters. 40 of the Jews who conspired to ambush Paul on uh, a planned another hearing before the Sanhedrin and the tribune had prevented that from happening. Yet the tribune, a man as we've just learned by the name of Claudius Lysias, I want to point out to you that, that we have these details for a reason. We know that these are real people in real history, real events. God's word is reliable. We can trust it. This tribune, Claudius Lysias, he sends 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen to escort Paul. Does that seem like a little bit of overkill? 270 professional soldiers to protect the man against 40 Jewish conspirators. We're reminded, surely, here that though the world has its ways of trying to ensure uh, success. Paul's security doesn't depend on manpower or the strength of arms, but on the sovereign purposes of God. And God is perfectly capable of harnessing the apparatus of the Roman Empire to ensure that all his purposes are realized. I want to encourage you that the same remains true today. The Roman Empire was no friend to the way. Many Christians suffered torture and death and all kinds of persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. But if God's will is that Paul or you or I will be spared, even by the hands of authorities, godless authorities, then that will come to pass, dear friends. So you see, this tribune's actions, though he's very proud of himself, proud of his actions that he's putting together, he's quite happy to uh, trumpet his own involvement in saving Paul. It's the Lord God Almighty who is behind his action in delivering Paul. Let's consider Paul's actions for a moment. Well, apart from uh, his being escorted down to Caesarea by this uh, contingent of soldiers, Paul is really just a passenger in this text today. Paul doesn't speak. He is passive. But we still have an overriding sense of Paul's missionary actions being the cause of these events. It's because of Paul's word that he's spoken that the Jews in the Sanhedrin have taken offence. 
he has unsettled the Jews in Jerusalem and across the empire wherever he preached the gospel of life in Christ. However, notice that though Paul is facing interrogation and possible punishment and even possible execution, he remains calm and peaceful, trusting the Lord's sovereign hand behind everything that happens. And so he is presented before Rome's man in the province, Governor Felix, an interesting figure. Felix was a former slave who had been freed and he'd ascended to an influential position in the Roman government. And the emperor Claudius appointed him governor of Judea in AD 52. The historical records provide that information for us. The Roman historian Tacitus records that Felix occupied the office of a king while having the mind of a slave, saturated with cruelty and lust. Like many senior Romans, Felix was not a morally upright man, but he owed everything to the Roman system and its emperor, and so he would not permit the Jews to subvert justice, Roman justice. Paul's actions and Felix's actions governed by God's action. We must remind ourselves at this point of God's action in redemptive history, in sending his son, our saviour, to rescue his people. This is the whole reason for the momentum behind the situation that we are reading today, is God's action in time and space, in sending his son, Jesus Christ. Christ's mission has already been accomplished. What God is doing now is spreading the good news of salvation in and through him to the nations. And God intends to use Paul to declare this news at the very heart of the Roman government. By choosing a Roman citizen, God had made it possible for this process to take place. Not only is the action of God in the work of Jesus successful in all it's meant to achieve, Jesus' sacrifice at the cross saves all those whom God intends to save. But friends, every plan that God has for every person will come to pass too. Dear friends, we, like Paul, can rest utterly in the knowledge that God's will for us will come to pass. We, like Paul, need only to be ready to speak when the time comes. Friends, God has acted in time and space, to redeem you, to set your feet on the rock. God continues to act through the lives of his people 
and through the lives of others to ensure that his glory is known from east to west, coast to coast, country to country, house to house. Let's be encouraged by his actions past and his actions present. Secondly, accusations. Let's think a minute about the opposition to God's agency, his activity. Well, we're aware, aren't we, that false accusations were leveled against Jesus himself. God, when he visited earth, did not receive a warm reception. And these false accusations against Christ, they resulted in his crucifixion. The baying mob that demanded Jesus' crucifixion before the flip-flopping former governor, Pontius Pilate, they saw that he was silenced, at least temporarily. Why did that happen? Well, it was, of course, in order that God's glory and righteousness would be displayed indisputably before a broken and unjust world. The gentle and compassionate Saviour would stoop so low as to willingly die an agonizing death on the cross, making salvation possible by absorbing all the righteous wrath and anger of God against sin and defeating utterly sin's consequences, death. Do you see the glory of God's selflessness in laying down his perfect life for us against the backdrop of such rebellion and opposition? The rebellion and opposition that we've acknowledged continues to go on today, even in our own lives. Friends, if God can do this, think what he can do for you. He can turn our lives completely around. Paul, as a servant of God, he also is facing false accusations. The former persecutor of the church has had his life completely turned around, even as I've just suggested ours can be, from the destruction and misery that he poured out on the Gentile, on the gentle believers, he had become a mild and humble preacher of the power of God to save. God was using him mightily across the eastern Mediterranean. The Jews who thought that they had dealt with Jesus merely came to see the movement known as the way the followers of this Jesus continue to grow and reach more and more towns, to enter more and more synagogues. The followers of Jesus were everywhere. And so the resentment of some of these Jews grew too. And accusations were slung backwards and forwards as they tried to to stir up 
the Romans to persecute the Christians. But by the sovereign will of God, praise the Lord, there are new Roman officials in charge. Officials who are not willing to bow to pressure from the Jews. And so for Paul, Roman judicial protection is assured so that the highest places in the empire will come to hear of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. What was the ultimate purpose in the opposition that Paul faced? Well, it's the same as with Jesus. That God might be truly known, recognised and glorified. And the word about the availability of free salvation in Christ spread far and wide. Are there false accusations against us because of our faith in Christ? Well, another one of the early church leaders, James, the brother of Christ, in his epistle he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. Are you feeling like you're you're lacking this morning? Are you feeling like you're missing out? Well, the Word of God assures us that everything that we need, the fullness of life is found in Christ alone. That all these trials... As children of God, these are designed to bring to full effect the glory of God's redemption. The glory of his sanctification as he works out all his purposes in our lives. Friends, God knows best. If we belong to Christ, then he made us to bring glory to himself. And if we face trials and persecution and opposition and false accusations, it's because we're following the narrow path that the Lord has set before us. Whether or not we're facing accusations for the sake of our faith, we all face the accusations of the enemy, Satan, the accuser of God's people. But will he be proven right or will we receive the free grace of Christ and have all our sins erased and all the charges against us dropped? That's what Christ can do for you. He can completely wipe the slate clean. He can heal your conscience. He can reconcile every injustice. 
because we are on a journey. We have a destination to reach. And so does Paul. My final point today is arrival. Paul has a destination ultimately like us. And this will be before the very presence of our Lord and Saviour. But before he reaches that destination, Paul has another ultimate destination on earth. And that's to stand before the Roman Emperor. Paul has another destination that we've just read about in our text this morning. Destination just for now. To stand before the Roman governor, Felix, on arrival in Caesarea. The Roman era coastal city constructed by Herod the Great some decades earlier. On his arrival, Paul is informed he will receive a hearing before Governor Felix. He'll be given an opportunity to speak. I wonder what is he going to say? Is he going to try and just, you know, win over the governor, say nothing controversial? Well, we'll find out next time as we look at Acts 24. We'll see what Paul says. We'll see of whom he speaks. We'll see whose name he lifts high. Friend, what about us? What about you? When we're given opportunities to speak with our friends, with our workmates, with our neighbours, what will we say? Will we boldly tell of God's tender mercy to us despite our unworthiness, despite our sin? Will we confidently affirm our delight in the truth of God's word? Will we demonstrate a consistency in the way we choose to live against the great tide of temptation and compromise all around us? Not self-righteously, proudly but humbly and boldly knowing the truth seeking the Lord's empowerment and the unparalleled peace and joy that comes from knowing his presence alongside us this is the effect that knowing Jesus has on all his followers gladness and peace despite stormy seas don't believe me? Just look at the serenity and calmness of our brother Paul. See how many letters of encouragement Paul wrote from jail, all the while expressing his incom- incomparable joy in the Lord and his joy in the faces of his brothers and sisters scattered across the Roman Empire, knowing that they too were enduring great trials and persecutions and hardness. Joy, peace, unparalleled delight in the face of Christ, despite everything the world could do to upset their apple cart. On arrival at our final destination, 
there will be another all-important hearing. At this hearing, before the true and legitimate authority of God himself, all the charges brought against us will be legitimate, according to God's exhaustive knowledge and righteousness. How will we plead? Only by the blood of the pure, spotless Lamb of God will we be able to stand before the judge of all the universe. What will our actions and our words have resulted in? What will the testimony of those things be? Judgment? Or justification? And eternal blessedness? Friends, like our brother Paul, let us put our trust in Jesus alone. Let's bow our heads in prayer.